Good morning, everyone. Hey, I want you to stay in that, that revival moment. I want you just to, uh, because you came to a church, if you've never been to this church before, um, good luck. It's great to have you here. Uh, I hope you like it. Uh, that's not our goal, but it would be nice if you liked it. But let me encourage you. What, what God just communicated to me over the last few minutes um, is that there is great despair in the world, great despair, not only in the, the um, international world, but also in your lives. He, um, uh, about three weeks ago, I asked God, I don't know what was wrong with me, but I asked God that if he would show me evil. Um, I asked that he would show me how evil works. Uh, it's just kind of like I, I consider myself like a, a warrior and I wanted to know how the enemy works. Uh, for three weeks, he has shown me unmitigated evil. Uh, and now I'm like, God, I am so sorry I asked you to show me that because that's not what I need to see. Uh, what I need to see is the glory of God, the strength of God, the love of God, the truth of God. That's what we need to focus on. And God wants you to know here, if you're here and you're in a, disp- a desperate place, um, that he wants to give you courage. He wants to give you strength. And I'm not saying this from a, from a place of personal strength. I've had a really bad week, you know, um, and uh, it, so it's brought me to a very desperate place. But what God did f- for me was give me courage, give me strength, gave, gave me hope in the middle of all of it. And, and let me just say what I also learned this week uh, is that Paul says, when I am weak, you are strong. And he says, I will boast of my weaknesses, which is totally whacked. Um, but it, it, it's what he says, and that means it's really the mind of God. But it just does, it goes counterintuitive to how I view pain in my own personal life. But he got a hold of something. And he said, therefore, I will boast of my weakness because when I'm weak, he is strong. And you know what God impressed me this week? Is that nowhere in that text does Paul say he ever felt it. That he felt strong. That he felt this goo come over him and just make his back pain and all of his social pain and all that stuff go away. It was like, no, he says, when I am weak, he's strong. That means even when I'm weak in my perception of the outcome of the future, meaning that all my ability to rationalize the next step, he said, you know what? When I'm at that place, I am strong in Christ. So let me encourage you. you. Your marriage may be there. Your children may be there. You may be looking at Putin and his, his, his lost his mind. You may be looking at, some of you are talking about concerns about, will we have a draft? Will we go to war? Uh, I mean, COVID's still out there. I mean, and then stupidity's out there. And I mean, there's a whole lot of stuff out there. So what do we need? We need the power of the Holy Spirit to move in our lives and to give us that divine courage, that divine wisdom to walk upright in a perverse and dark generation. And God will do it. He will be with you. You may not feel it. That's happiness, you know? I mean, that's fleeting. You may not feel it, but what you need is something stronger that will undergird your plight, your despair, something that will strengthen you. And the Spirit of God today, as in the day of creation, moves over chaotic waters to bring out living waters in our life. 
So be encouraged today. Whatever you're facing, whatever the difficulty, whatever the doctor's telling you, whatever, whatever your spouse just told you, whatever your kid just texted you, whatever you go on CNN or Fox and look to see what Putin has done in the last five minutes, remember, we have the spirit of the living God who lifts our head. He is our glory and the lifter of our heads. So whatever you're facing, I am not a cliche pastor up here who has a perfect life with no pain in his life. I have a lot of pain in my life. But somehow, when I am weak, he seems to be strong. I don't feel it, but I do know it. And I experience his grace. So please be encouraged. Be encouraged. Spend less time on your phone, more time talking to God. So, hey, next week we're getting, if you've been coming to Crosstown, we're, we're going to be doing baptism. And if um, it's a time for you to rededicate your life to the Lord, and, and there's a lot of people that's like, well, you can't get baptized twice, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, okay, yeah, whatever. But um, you can reaffirm your baptism. You can say, hey, you know what? I'm watching all the crazy stuff that's going on the last two years of crazy stuff. I need to recenter my life back into Christ. And, and, and it's like, you're not getting saved again. We all know that. But what you're just saying is like, listen, I've got a lot of crap on my life, a lot of bad news, a lot of stuff going on. I just want to step in the waters and remind myself that Jesus Christ is Lord of my life. We invite you to be a part of that. And so um, you can sign up in the back on the way out at our guest services it's a good thing. It's a good thing to know God. It's a good thing to walk with God. And he is absolutely faithful. So I don't mean to get emotional, but it's, it's because I, I really am happy. I mean, it's, it's kind of crazy. If you, you know, um, it's, it's really weird feeling for me to uh, be miserable and happy at the same time. It's like, <laughs> I mean, it really is. I'm, I'm, I'm learning something even in this moment right now. It's like, okay, God's not going to fix the whole world. He's not going to fix the whole world right now. But we can become overcomers in the midst of the world. And it's like, that's a real promise. So let me encourage you. Just let that drop into you. Maybe you don't know what your next step is. You haven't figured it out. And, and, and if you're here today, it's like, well, this guy really needs some, some Prozac or something in his life. It's like, no, don't we believe in a supernatural God? I mean, it's kind of like we should expect God moments. It was on that really cool video we showed earlier. We expect God moments. So just allow God to speak to you today. I, what I'm talking about today may have nothing to do with your life. I doubt it, but it may not be the thing. But I, I tell you, just even if you're not catching fish, just being around somebody who is catching fish is a good day. You know, just being in the boat. So allow this to be a good day for you. Allow the Spirit of God to speak into your life. So we're on part seven of Transformed. Our theme verse for this series is, Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So some of the things that we experience, we feel and respond to the world is, uh, needs to be revamped. It needs to be, you know, God needs to get into us with his word and how we look at the world, how we look at the outcome of the world, how we look at God, how we look at our spouses, how we look at problems, how we deal with difficulties. 
that we need to be transformed in the renewing of our minds so that we can respond differently. So as we've been traveling through this, we've been looking at our spiritual health, our physical health, we've been looking at our mental health, our emotional health, and our financial health. That was a doozy. Uh, But today, we're going to continue by looking at something that you wouldn't think God would be interested in, but it's your vocational health. I mean, this is a really big deal. Um, See, so much of the training that we go through life is to prepare us to get a good job. Yo, son, you need to go to college. Why? Well, you got to get a good job. Because, so it seems like from, from high school all the way through college, if you, if you get to college or if you don't get kicked out of college two or three times, I mean, whatever it is your journey looks like, all it seems to be like the emphasis of everything is you getting a good job. And what we call a good job is usually measured by some metrics, and I think in our minds, we think about uh, a good job. We think about salary. That's a big one. You know, um, we think about uh, the demands of the job. We think about the stress of the job. We think about the benefits package that comes with it or the benefits of having the job. We think about the satisfaction quotient in this. And what's really interesting is that we put a lot of pressure to get something out of our vocations. I mean, it's almost like we, how we approach marriage. We look for the right woman, the right dude, we, you know, and then we can put pressure on that person that I am supposed to get a happy life out of you. I mean, that sounds crazy that you would put that kind of pressure on another human being, that I'm supposed to get something out of you. And then when I don't get that something out of you that I thought I was going to get out of you, I move on to another marriage. Well, that is the exact same profile of what we do with jobs. We do all this training, we do all this work in order to find a job so that we can get something out of it. Unfortunately, when we don't see those metrics being met, we live with a sense of unfulfillment, disappointment. Um, and then after you're, you're, you have this disappointment and you have this unfulfillment, it morphs. It morphs into animosity. See, that's what happens. Is that, that's why everybody gets nasty on the job site is because everybody had this expectation that this job was going to do something for me. This was going to be it, my passion, my life, my God calling. This is, all of this was going to come out of that. And when it doesn't happen, people begin to get a little, we get a little gnarly. And we begin to villainize people at the job site. Well, this job would be so much better if they weren't here, or if I was in charge, or if, or if somebody else was in charge, it would be different. And so we put a lot of weight on our vocation. But I think in the wrong direction. It's interesting that we will go um, from job to job, city to city, we'll uproot our kids looking for the perfect job, the perfect boss, the perfect pleasure to work ratio. You know, and, and, and we'll just like, we won't ask God whether we should leave Charleston and move to Charlotte. We'll, we'll just, well, I'm supposed to move to Charlotte. Why? They're gonna pay more. Oh, oh, that's right. Your vocation determines everything about your life. 
It's what we get out of our vocation. Oh, so you're going to uproot your kids out of all their friendships, their church, their school, and all that other stuff so that you can have a good work-to-pleasure quotient. I wonder if they have such a liberty in Africa. I wonder if they have such an economy in the Ukraine. I wonder if all the world has the ability to just move around so that we can make sure that we have the right pleasure work quotient. You know, do you guys have a ping pong table at your, at your work? You know, and I'm not against ping pong tables. We actually have one here. And, uh, you know, so I'm all fun for having, uh, all about having fun at work. But, but I think in America, you know, we, we look to get things out of things. It's just an orientation we have. Get something out of my marriage. Out of, we do it to our kids. We try to use our kids to get something out of them that makes me feel better about who I am. But we do it with our jobs. And we will go to crazy lengths to find this thing that's supposed to satisfy us. Um, it sounds like an unhealthy expectation to get all this out of a job. This is why the healthy ways to approach your job or your work is to revalue what you bring to the job. That's how Christianity, this is how Christ and Paul and we're even going to see John the Baptist are all going to talk to us about what do we bring into the job as opposed to the American thing is like, uh, what can I get out of this job? How you make the job succeed. How you bring, how you're being on that job makes the job and the people around you a better job. I think God's really concerned about that aspect. And, and, and again, I don't mean to, I don't want to sound like God is scolding us or anything on this, but I think we have lived in such luxury in America, and maybe at varying levels, but I think we've lived in a luxury that, you know, we're all about pursuing our passion. When the rest of the world, I mean, the rest of the six billion people on this planet are just happy to have work, are just happy to do their job. We're born into a farming family, so they farm. They, they, they're born into growing rice, and they grow rice. They, they were born into uh, uh, raising cattle, and they raise cattle. And it's like, well, I, I can't imagine even doing a job like that. It's like, it's because we put stress on something coming out of our job to us instead of us bringing something into the job. In the NFL... Teams are always looking for the it factor uh, that will change the culture of the team. I, I just love it. And if you're into fantasy football, if you're into football at all, I mean, you know this really happens. They're, they're looking, all teams are looking for the next it factor. And the, the it factor may be the coach, like Sean McVay, you know, from the Rams. I mean, he's a cute fella, good-looking man, young guy, like 36, 37 years old, and just won the Super Bowl and just got back from Disney World. I mean, just a really good-looking guy. But when you hear about all the analysts, they talk about the it factor, that what he brings, how players want to play for this guy. You know, it, it, and it's, it's amazing that somebody can have the it factor and it changes the culture of the team. Or maybe it's somebody that's a star player like Tom Brady. I mean, he can go from ruling the world for 20 years at New England, successfully, beautifully, repeatedly, and then go sashay down to Tampa Bay, Florida, 
and then all of a sudden bring with him a sense of culture, a sense of um, acuity to what he does that in the same year he arrives, a championship takes place. I mean, it's amazing. And then there's this other phenomenon that occurs. Then, then there are all the rest of the players that want to go to Tampa Bay. I mean, Gronkowski retires from football. He's had like two back surgeries. He should be retired from football. But when Tommy goes to Tampa Bay, he comes out of retirement, uh, let's do it again. You know, that's an it factor. That's amazing that a person could do that. And then you'll have players all around the, the NFL that will just uh, want to be on that team with that coach or with that particular player. See, God wants us to be that person wherever we are. He wants us to be the it factor. Not because we can help everyone make more money, but because we can help them discover hope and purpose. Every job, every profession needs somebody with the it factor. That I want to play with that guy. I want to be on the same team as that gal. I want to work for her. I want to, you know, it, it, having that, I just want that person in my clubhouse. You know, I want that manager on my team that has the it factor. And God calls us to be that person. Not the person that chases that person. Not the person that's chasing the best job, but rather he wants us to be the it factor at our job. God uses a young man named Joseph to impact a whole nation. In, in Genesis 37, I encourage you to read it. It begins to chronicle him at the age of 17. And let me just say, if you're, at, you're 17 years of age, you can, have the, you can have the it factor. Okay, so don't let, you don't have to grow up and be an old guy, old gal to, to have the it factor. You can have it, and Joseph had it at 17, or he learned it and he cultivated it. So Genesis 37 begins with him having a dream from God and how his life is going to be used, okay? And every one of you here may have a dream about what you were going to be when you grow up or when you grew up. And you have this idea. Now, let me just attack something here that we really need to attack. That in America, we have the desire for greatness over goodness. And we even preach this, okay? And, I, and I'm, I'm going to speak with the authority of God on this. God has not called any of us to be great. He's called us to be good. Good and great are not like scales on, on the same metric system. Good is, a, is an expression of the quality of character that we are. Greatness is something that sometimes happens to people. And there's a lot of people who are great that weren't good. Adolf Hitler, he was great. I'm going to have to say Putin, he's probably great at what he does. He's just not good. And that's the problem is we got too many people who are thrusted into leadership positions because they're great, but at the core, they're not good. And in all the scriptures, we're told that you are to pursue to be good and faithful. That's our calling. So the reason why I tell you this is that some of you may be my age or maybe you're like kind of like 
busting through your 30s and you've just figured out you're not going to be Tom Brady. You're not going to be an astronaut. You're not going to be a multimillionaire. You're not going to win the lottery. And all of a sudden you found out that you're going to be regular. And in our country, we've been told that life sucks if you're regular. But we have a hard time finding good in America. Okay, so, so let me encourage you. God's, get that burden off your back. I gotta be great one day. I gotta be the best singer. I gotta be the best at this. I gotta be great, you know? And it's like, everybody's looking for an on-ramp to be great. It's like, God's like, can you just be good? Could you, could, and we'll talk about what good looks like on the job. And, and so I, I lived under the burden of always trying to be the greatest pastor I could be. Or the, you know, and it's like, God didn't even tell me to do that. Just told me to do justice, love mercy, speak truth and kindness, love my neighbor as myself, love him with all my heart. You can do that on a tractor. You can do that laying pipe as a plumber. You can do it as a teacher. You can do it as a surgeon. You can do it as a pastor. You can do it as a teacher. I mean, you can do it in all kinds of ways. But we have been stirred up in America that all of us are kind of failing or not. If you're a stay-at-home mom, you've been told you're a failure. Okay? You've been told what you're doing is not good enough. You know, it's like, well, you should make something more out of your life. Other than make raising good children? My God, I wish more people would get back to raising good children. I mean, I mean that would just be, I mean, the poor kids need it. It's not there's, uh, let me just say, clean up this up. There are no bad kids, okay? It's just kids that have been left behind because we're out there trying to be great, okay? If they are just nurtured in goodness, every, every kid can be something special, is something special. So let me get back to the story. Genesis 37, uh, he's got this dream, you know, that God's given him. He's like, what? That's so cool. And he's probably just imagining what he's going to be, you know, and, 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 but it didn't happen. Well, it didn't happen the way that Joseph thought it was going to happen. Um, he finds himself doing the job he did not want to do. And he did not pick this job. Uh, it was not what he thought his life dream would be like or how it would be accomplished. So he's, God's given this vision for his life and then immediately he's forced into slavery. He works as a slave in the household of a, of, of a, a family. Then he's lied about on the job, maybe something that you've experienced and then gets brought up on charges and, and, and gets thrown into prison. Then while he's in prison, He's passed over as he serves in prison. He's passed over for promotions and, and everybody pretty much forgets he's there. And so he's left with only being able to do one thing. Be a good man. See, that's the thing. If being a good man's not good enough for you right now, you won't find a job in the world that will satisfy your soul. You won't be any good anywhere if being good Boy, I wish I had a rhyme. That would have been nice, wouldn't it? If that had all just rhymed just real quick like that. Dang it. That's how the good preachers get it done. But you know what? If being good is not good enough, then you're going to be no good wherever you are. There we go. Finished it up there. All right. Tweet it out. <laughs> Let's close in prayer. <laughs> so <laughs> Joseph did his job anyway. 
God gifted him, and, and Joseph's like, this is not where I thought I was going to be good, but I'll do it. And here's another thing I noticed. None of the gifting of Joseph was ever used in a tabernacle, temple, synagogue, mosque, or a church. The impact he's going to have is not in this context. It's, it's in the world, just like yours is going to be. What was his gift? He was a gifted administrator. So he used his giftedness and his talents. He applied the wisdom of God. He worked hard and faithfully, and he maintained his character. Now, some of you out here are bosses. Some of you out here are higher. Um, wouldn't you hire this person? I mean, he used his giftedness and his talents. He applied the wisdom of God. He worked hard and faithfully, and he maintained his character. Who wouldn't hire a guy like this? See, this is what you can bring to the job instead of waiting the job to bring something to you. And as a result of being a faithful house slave, faithful as a prison worker, and a bean counter for someone else's grain. And let me just say this. He was a bean counter for somebody else's grain. We're again told that you don't have the right job unless you're the boss. You know, unless you, it's, it's less, it's, you know, somebody said to me the other day, he said, listen, uh, Pastor Paul, you really need to understand the, uh, how passive income works. It's like, uh, you know, what you do is you buy properties and you do passive income. And I've known about passive income. And it's like, uh, and then what you do is you have your properties and your passive income because all works. And that way you don't have to work and do passive. And I'm like, well, that's a great idea. Why didn't I think of that? Oh, I forgot. I don't have any income that can produce passive income. I don't have the economy of that kind of money. And I'm glad you do, but I don't have that. And most Americans don't. Most Americans will have to do their job and do it good and stop despising what other people may have and just do what God, and maybe you are counting somebody else's grain. There's no shame in that. But we've been told there is. Joseph was counting somebody else's shame. And as a result of it, God used him to save his father's house and a nation from famine. Now that's good work right there. So Jesus, the Apostle Paul, and even John the Baptist taught regular people, and I'm just talking to regular people today, taught regular people living regular lives how to do their regular jobs in a way that would bring about something of the kingdom of God to people. Because that's pretty much where most of us are going to, to, to live, is in the world of the regular. We're going to be doing most of the living and the dying and the tax paying and, and, and community and the soccer team stuff and the baseball team stuff and, and all that. We're going to be doing the regular stuff. Instead of us being ashamed that we're not the, this other group here, it's recognizing there's no shame in being a good man, being a good woman, and being a part of a community, uh, doing a good job. So these three men are going to speak, or let me just say these three inspirees, filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus is like on a whole different level. But none of them are speaking to anybody who becomes a millionaire. Okay? 
So let's just say it right off. Jesus isn't gathering all the smart people who can make it happen, and so the, tur- the eagles, and, and hangs out with the eagles and screw the turkeys. And so Jesus isn't talking to the future millionaires of, of Israel. No, most of these people that he's talking to are gonna go home, and they're gonna farm, and they're gonna push their sheep around, and, and, and they're gonna get water from a well every single day of their lives. And he tries to inspire them that they can bring the kingdom of God even to the most regular of work. None of them were going to do the job that their passion drove them to. You never see Jesus like on the Sermon of the Mount and hand out a survey, you know, write down the top five things that you would like to do for a job for your life. No. He starts talking about Blessed are you when you, and he begins to talk about kingdom principles working in their lives. What's interesting that we're going to see that in none of the teachers that talk to us about the kingdom of heaven and our jobs, none of them anywhere will ever tell anybody to get another job, that that's the solution. That, that blew my mind, because in America, that's the immediate way you resolve your life, get another job. But let's just take a look. They taught that their occupation was a way to extend the love and the truth of God's kingdom and that any job could do it. Not even the right job could do it. So people were coming to John the Baptist and they were being baptized and they were discovering the kingdom of God. And it's interesting, you know, when we talk about you came to church here, you you know, you think we're going to talk about like the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about Jesus dying on the cross. We're, we're going to talk about God the Father. And those are all things that we do talk about. But somehow in the middle of all this, this, this we want the kingdom of God, they start talking about jobs. Jo- John answers them about their job. It's, it's so amazing. Because the kingdom of God will always begin to talk about every part of your life. Every part of your life, God wants to bring the kingdom of God into. So let me read you the text out of Luke 3.11. It says this, and all this activity and people coming to John the Baptist, then it says, even the tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Get another job, you evil reprobates. That's not a living. That's not godly. No, that's not what he says. He says, don't collect any more than you are required to. It's like, yeah, you know, do your job, but do it fairly, do it righteously. That will shock everybody, you know? Then, listen to this, some soldiers asked him, and you know what he's going to tell those soldiers, lay down your weapons and turn your, your swords into plowshares and, and, and become a pacifist. Uh, no, yeah, no, he doesn't do that. It says, what, they say, what should we do? And he said, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely and be content with your pay. It's like, wait a minute, tax collectors and soldiers, aren't those the wrong jobs? No, it's just when good men and good women uh, are in those jobs, they're okay jobs. The problem with those jobs is when bad men and bad women are in those jobs. You know, so I'm absolutely amazed about this. Not one person was commanded to get a different job. Rather, it was about 
having a vision to bring the kingdom of God into your world. I hope this is answering somebody's prayer that you came in. It's like, I don't know if I'm supposed to move. I don't know if I'm supposed to quit my job. I mean, I, you know, and maybe it is. So let me read to you what Paul wrote to multiple churches. And there's a reason why I'm telling you it was multiple churches. Because you know, if Paul writes one thing, one item uh, to one thing, you know, like, like for instance, I'll just say like, he talks about women wearing shawls on their heads, little, little uh, like doilies or things on their heads. And, and uh, is it a doily? I'm sorry. I'm sorry I'm showing my ignorance right now. But you know, you look at that and it's like, well, are all women supposed to be wearing these things on their heads? Well, I'm not saying it's wrong to wear things on your head. I really don't understand what he was talking about. I could guess, I could work through some theology on it. But you know, we only said it like once. So I don't think I'm really gonna press you people on this. But when Paul writes something to multiple churches, he's telling me as a pastor, you really need to talk to folks about this. Not that the other thing is untrue, but, but there are some things we need to get right, more than what we wear on our head. And how you do your job seems to be one of those things. So Paul is going to talk to multiple churches about their relationship with work. Now, he's going to use a term uh, of master-slave. Let me be very clear. This is not American or sex-trafficking slavery that he's talking about. And now people have also wondered, why didn't Paul push for the abolition of slavery at his time? And they've kind of villainized Paul about this, that he was pro-slavery. He's not pro-slavery, okay? What he's got, he's got an infant Christianity in his, hand, in his hands. And everybody's trying to figure out what is Christianity all about? And he's like, listen, they barely know it's about Jesus. They barely know it's about redemption. I'm not going to make it about this one issue. Because, you know, we've seen it in America. You know, we, we could see, we can make Christianity all about abortion. Now, I hate abortion. And I'm against abortion. But we're never called to make Christianity just about abortion. Okay? We'll never lead anybody to the Lord with that message. Uh, it, it, we're supposed to bring him in through compassion and love, through the forgiveness and grace we find in Jesus Christ. And for anybody who has experienced, even like myself, who has paid in the past for such tasks to be performed to get me out of a tough place when I was a young man, I have experienced forgiveness and mercy. And God is, and then, you know, God heals and God saves. I am so grateful for that. But Paul, right at this point, is not going to make Christianity about slavery. So he figures out. I'll attack from the inside out. I'm not going to overthrow Roman rule by picking up weapons. I'm going to attack from the inside. Let's change how we do things. So he says, okay, instead of trying this little band trying to overthrow the Roman Empire and every injustice, he teaches them to do their job well. And that from the inside out, it could bring about change. So please listen to this message as we apply it to employment today. Colossians 3.22. Slaves, in all things obey you. Obey those who are your masters on earth, not with eye service as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. And whatever you do, 
Do your work heartily. <laughs> when was the last time you went to a conference and told you that? Do your work heartily. Um, as for the Lord, rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. It's like, wow. It really is about what I bring to my job instead of what my job and my boss and what the benefits that come out of it. Then he turns his eyes towards masters and he says, masters do the same thing. Give up threatening, knowing that both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. You're not a, you're not a boss in heaven. And so he tells them, hey, employers, you, you need to treat your people right like I treat you right. Employees, you need to serve your employers just like you would serve me. Yes, they may be jerks. Yes, they may be, uh, um, you know, people are making way too much money in your mind, but serve them as unto the Lord. So I pulled a couple quick principles, and, and let me encourage you, I have rambled way too much today, uh, but I, I don't, I, I'm not going to apologize for that. So if in the second service, I may go into this more in depth, and so if you're looking for better, you know, how-tos in there that may be there, I'm just going to have to flick the rock and it's going to skip over the water for the next few seconds. So I pulled a couple of principles out of these scriptures. The first one is this. Let the quality of your work reflect your love for God. Bottom line, you don't have to love your job. You just have to love God. Stop thinking that you'll only perform as good as you love your job. That's the whole fallacy of the passion for your job thing. It's like, because most of us don't have the economy or the opportunity in life to pick the job we're passionate about. You know what job I'm passionate about? I want to be a submarine commander. That's what I want to be. I want to be a submarine commander. I'd be a dang good one. I'd be, I'd be that hunter-killer guy. I mean, I'd be taking the Russians out left and right right now. I probably would have gone rogue. You know, I mean, it'd be like, I, I would have just... I did, you know, and so you're like, yeah, but aren't you passionate about being a pastor? Uh, you know, it's, it's cool. It's got, it's got, you know, it's perks. I get to meet you. I get to know you. That's awesome. Wasn't what I had planned. You don't have to love your job. You just got to love God. And then do your job for the love of God. Second, don't be an eye pleaser. Put your heart into it. Um, it's really your heart towards God that's your expression. And it doesn't matter what you do. And I was, I was a grunt in the Navy. I mean, I was digging ditches. I was, you know, in the Navy, you would, I'd be on my ship and they would, we'd scrape all the paint off the ship, off the bulkheads, and then we'd paint it again. And then six months later, you know, okay, we're going to paint the bulkheads again. And we scraped it all back down again and, and we painted again. And I'd be like, this has got to be the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. It's like, this is, God's got to have a better plan for my life than this. Oh, he does. You need to do your job as a good man. You need to paint the best daggum bulkhead that they've ever seen. It's like, yeah, but they're just going to do over it again. Yeah, but you did it unto me. I saw it. And your reward comes from me. So that's going to be a big change. A third one is this, do more than what you're paid to do. I know that really just got you. Doing just enough 
for being paid just enough is the way the world works. You do just enough to get paid just enough. And if they pay, they change the just enough to make it more, well, then I'll do a little bit more than just enough. That's the, that's, that's the way the world works. Doing more gets noticed. It really does. It gets noticed. And at times, doing more gets favor. Not always. I'm not promising you. I, I, I'm not saying that's your motivator. But sometimes doing more actually gets favor. And at the very least, doing more reflects to everyone around you that you value something more than that job. That you are motivated by something greater than the pay and the work environment. Fourth one is this, stop complaining. Or in the words of the apostle, Paul, just shut up and do your job. I know that sounds really harsh. Well, if you thought that was bad, listen to this one. This is not the apostle Paul, this is me. If you suck at your job, no one is listening except everyone else who sucks at the job. (laughs) I'm serious. If you suck at your job, nobody cares what you say. If you really want to have input to the culture and the outcome of your work, then be good. Be good. And it's really so evident, you know, when you hear somebody complaining. And let me add to this. If there is injustice, um, then pursue change through the channels for change. Okay? But you complain into another doofus on the job about your boss, it's not going to change anything. And your boss doesn't care. And you're definitely not going to get a pay raise. So stop complaining. And number five, don't preach work. I hated it in the Navy. I hated it. And and then when I went to another job site, a couple of job sites after the Navy, where Christians were always passing out tracts on the job. You know, it's like, hey, if you know where you go to hell, you know, if, you know, and they would pull out this track and, and give it to you while they're doing the job. It's like, you know, just do your job. Do a good job. That preaches. It preaches so much. But let me just tell you, uh, let me give you what Jesus said about all that. And I'm not down in, if you're doing a great job and you're handing out tracks, cool. I, I don't think tracks work anymore today, but I think people want to see real lives. That, that's believable. Um, so, Uh, Jesus said this, Matthew 5, you are the light of the world. The city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket. See, that's what complaining is. A complaining heart is a basket over somebody that can bring good light into the job place. But rather, they put it on a lampstand and it gives light to all that are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who's in heaven. That's preaching right there. That when they see your good works, it's like, no, that's religious works. That's not what he said. He said, when you're out there in the world and you're doing a good job, people are more interested in your God than if you're doing a complaining job. Matter of fact, If you're a complainer at work, I would ask, stop sharing Jesus with people at work because there's nothing that nullifies the gospel of God than to hear it from a a complaining, incompetent heart. You know, I know that's real strong and harsh, but 
I, I think this will really have a positive effect. Jesus thought so too. Uh, number six, be ready with your God story. And think about it. Speak hope, spread forgiveness, and spark interest. I was like, IT guy after getting out of the Navy. I worked for Santa Cooper, a power and electric company in the Munts Corner and Upper State area. And uh, my job was to put in cabling and, and fiber optics and stuff like that. And, and I did that. And it's like, well, that's not very spiritual. Oh, I can tell you, I did a good job. I was, had a great future ahead of me. But one of the cool things about it was that um, everybody wanted to hear what my thoughts about God were. You know, and we would have these incredible conversations. So be ready with your God's story. And then seven, cultivate a new community. I have seen regular people use their job to bring the kingdom of heaven closer. Other people have had the exact same jobs and have made it a living hell. I'm actually going to name examples to show you that these principles work. In our congregation, Brandy Didlot is the engineer safety director of multiple states, okay? I mean, this gal's got it going on as an engineer. So she's actually working in a man's field traditionally, and she's the boss. Yeah. But, you know, she brings Christ into that work environment. She does a great job, and people look to her not only for their orders, but for their hope. Chris McLean is the chief medical officer of Roper St. Francis Hospital Network. That's a big friggin' deal. Okay? And I tell you, the way he does that job, he doesn't just balance the books, he doesn't just make sure healthcare happens, he brings Christ into that job. See, he makes it the kingdom of heaven coming to earth where the, the last guy or the next person may make it a living hell. You can make your job an extension of heaven or an extension of hell. And he's decided to. Then you got people like. <laughs> I'm such a sissy. <laughs> you got people like Deanna Brigman, who's a teacher at a cheap school. She's underpaid and she's overpassionate. You know, she tells me how much she makes, and I'm like, you need to go in there and tell your boss, you're out of here unless you get pay raise. And she's like, Dad, no, this is my, my thing. This is, she calls it her jam. This is my jam. And it's like, man, when somebody figures out that pay is not the most important thing about their job, they can bring heaven to earth to high school students. Josh Luke, he's an IT manager for some company out of Japan. We're not even sure what he does, Ricky, do we? I mean, we really don't know what he does. <laughs> and he never tells us either. So, okay, but, you know, he was like the manager of the year, of the millennium or something like that. Why? Because he created a culture uh, at his work that was different and people love working for him. I think about Debbie Siegel and my daughter Dawn Haas who are normal people who are homeschoolers and raising their children but they get involved in, in forming and putting together curriculum for children. It doesn't pay. 
I'm, I'm sure it doesn't pay anything. But you, when you discover that your job is where you get to bring the kingdom of heaven into the world, and when you realize that you could also be a person who brings hell into the world, it makes you think about your job differently. And I didn't leave retirees out because I think about Dan Piscasio, who serves this church and community. As a retiree, we call that like a no job, no work. Well, it may not get him any money, but he still gives it his heart as he helps other people. And you thought you're, you needed to be a pastor to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. No, I will do very little to affect the earth. You will do so much more than I will ever accomplish. I'm not ashamed of that. I just know what my job is. But I also know what your job is. And I know the potential of it. And you thought a job is only as good as the pay. No, the job is only as good as what you bring to it. And you can bring a lot of good to it. And you thought unless you were doing what you were passionate about, you were doing the wrong thing. I thought we were supposed to be passionate about God. Love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and job, and all that other stuff. You know, it's cool to have a job that you like doing. That's cool. But don't wait for that to line up before you bring the kingdom of God and do it passionately. So as we receive communion, I think in this vocational health, we're learning that if we're looking for change to happen, then it's time for us to become the it factor. Instead of a chasing a team that Tom Brady's on, it's time for us to become that it factor. You know, I look at Faith Singleton over there. I mean, multiple times, nurse of the year at Roper St. Francis, wound care. I say, well, that's not a sexy job. Well, it is to somebody that has a wound on their body and needs somebody to care for them when nobody else will. It's the kingdom of God coming to earth. So let me encourage you. You were told that you were nothing because you're not great. God wants to let you know that there is the kingdom of heaven to be found in the regular and that God is looking for men and women to be good and faithful servants. Father, we thank you so much for this. And, and, and God, I know I've been all over the place, but I know that you've been on the hearts of the people that are here today. And I I pray that you would help them take home the right things. Not everything, but they take home the right things. And as we come and we take the bread and the cup, you're reminding us that the kingdom of God comes here through Christ to us, from us to others. Let us stop trying to get something out of our job that we can only get out of you. And let us bring what we get out of you to our job. We thank you.